It starts with sand that is placed in a furnace that creates this molten glass. And then the glass blower keeps that molten glass in the furnace until it's time to call what they uh, phrase it as gather glass. And that is when they go in and they gather this, what we would look at as a blob of glass that's on the edge of this uh, blowpipe. And as they get that edge right there on that blowpipe, then that trained glass blower will then blow a breath of air into that pipe. And once it hits into that, uh, that glass, that molten glass, then all of a sudden they begin to turn it and they spin it and they move it backwards and forwards and allow that air to be able to go and push that glass out. And then as that happens, then all of a sudden they will take it and they begin to do some more rolling activities. And then they'll take it and they'll roll it on this, on this table and they'll put some fire to it. It'll cool down. They'll place it in the furnace and they'll bring it back out. They begin to do some other work with it and uh, they begin to put a, a, a lid, a rim around it. Then they put handles on it and it's a process of where they've heat it up a little bit, cool it off a little bit. And then at the end of it, and once they get it just like they like it, they then will take it and they place it in a furnace. And they sit in that furnace about 800 degrees Fahrenheit. And they're sitting in there doing something that is uh, called uh, like a kneeling. And a kneeling is a strengthening and a hardening. And it removes the stress from the glass and it keeps it from cracking. And so what happens is you start with some sand and as you start with sand... And then you heat it up and it becomes this molten glass. All of a sudden it's transformed into something that is beautiful and is useful. We are in the fourth message of a series on transformation. And on transformation, we have been uh, talking about how uh, our lives are transformed. And we think about transformation, we think about a passage of scripture in Romans chapter 12 where it says that we're not to be conformed to this world, not to be squeezed into the mold of this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that word transformed is where we get our word metamorphosis. And a metamorphosis is when this grub worm climbs into a cocoon and then all of a sudden comes out to be a butterfly. There is a change in structure. It's a completely new creation that has happened. It's gone from a butterfly, it's gone from, excuse me, from a grub worm, to a, from a caterpillar up to a butterfly. So it's got a new identity, a whole new creation. And it's the same thing that happens to us is that when we receive Christ as Savior, we become this new creation. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We take a life that is wrapped up in the bondage of sin and hopelessness. And then when we receive Christ into our heart, all of a sudden he makes all things new. And he gives us this new identity. He gives us this new creation. And he starts us on the path of transformation. Formation. And it is when there is an inner work that happens in us, and then there's this outward reality. There was an inner work, it was sand that became molten glass. And from that inner work, all of a sudden, look what came out. Through that transformation, you see this beautiful picture. Same thing happens in our life, and it's called transformation. Now, it's interesting when you study about the glass blower that 
everything really kicks into high gear when that breath takes place. When you just got this molten blob and then when all of a sudden he just blows that breath of air in there. And when that breath of air goes, that's when everything starts happening. Well, it's interesting when you think about that breath. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, when it talks about the beginning of creation, look what the writer of Genesis says. In the Garden of Eden, when the first man was created, it says, And the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. That's how we got started. And then it's interesting when you follow through the life of Christ that after he died on the cross, was risen from the dead, and he came and met with his disciples and was meeting with them and was going to spend time with them before he ascends to heaven, look what it says in John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, it says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Mission statement of our church, sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. This is one of the verses we look at. He says, even as God sent me, I'm sending you. And then what did he do? And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. As breath begins the transformation process of sand to a beautiful picture, the breath of God begins our life and it begins the transformation process as we go from sinners who are separated from God into people who've made decisions for Christ into lives that are being transformed to look like Christ himself. Our goal is to be as Christ. Our goal is to have a transformed life. And so we have been looking over these weeks, and we've looked at what transformation is, we've looked at why we should be transformed, and we've even looked at how that transformation process, but today I want to talk to you about the effects of transformation. So what happens when a person's life is transformed? And I want you to look in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 takes place on the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide. And so I want you to picture where if you're over here on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, you've got, um, got some cities over here, you've got Capernaum over here, you've got some other cities here, and then you can go all the way across at eight miles and go to the, uh, go to the eastern side. So you're going from the western side to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And this is where you're picking up the story. In chapter 4, it says that they got in the boat, and at nighttime, this huge storm came. Jesus calmed the storm, and now they have landed on the other side. And it says that um, when they got here, on verse 1, it says they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And so when they got to this other side, they call it the country of the Gerasenes. This is where mainly Gentile people live. That means non-Jewish. But there were some Jews that did live over here, and they co-mingled with the Gentiles, and the other Jews didn't really like it that that was taking place. But it says that it's an area where is where the Decapolis is, and the Decapolis is 10 cities along the eastern frontier of the uh, Roman Empire. And so this is where there's Hellenistic culture, is pagan culture, and Jesus took the boat with the disciples and landed right there at the Gerasenes. And then it says that he stepped out of the boat and immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but, the, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. Now, if I can just help you with this, you're talking about a rough 24 hours for these disciples. They're on a boat, middle of the night, on the Sea of Galilee, and the storm comes up that is so bad that they were fearful for their lives. Jesus was asleep. They woke him up and they said, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? This is one of the worst storms we've ever seen. We're getting ready to die. And it says they were scared. So Jesus stands up, looks at the winds and the wave and says, Peace, be still. And it was. It was calm as glass. Then it said they were terrified. Because now all of a sudden they've got this man who they've been following who can stand up and tell the winds to stop and the waves to slow down. And they said, what kind of guy is this? So now they're sort of terrified on it. And then they land. And when they land this boat, they land in a cemetery on the other side of the lake. And they're walking in these tombs. And here comes a crazy man. A naked crazy man comes running, screaming at the top of his voice. And they're scared again. What a 24 hours for these guys. Well, you've got this crazy guy who runs over to Jesus and they describe who he is. He's a demoniac, someone who uh, is possessed with demons. And it said he lived among the dead. He means that there were all these tombs like uh, rock-hewn caverns and there'd be bones of dead people there. And that's where he lived. And it said he would roam around aimlessly and that nobody could bind him, that there were times that people would bind him with chains, but he was so strong he would just tear those chains And so nobody could subdue him. He was a terror to himself. He was a terror to others. And when it said that they couldn't subdue him, it's the same word for taming a wild animal. Nobody knew what to do with this guy. And then at times it said he would cut himself and he would cry out night and day. Think about that. You would hear from this area when you're living out in in the neighborhoods and you hear this guy moaning and screaming and hollering night and day. It's worse than having a yappy dog in your neighborhood that barks all the time, right? Here what you've got is you've got a guy who is a uh, crazy man. And he's just every night and day he's yelling. And it's unsafe for the kids to go by and people are scared of this guy. And so in Matthew's account, it even said that it was not safe for anybody to pass by. So as you're getting ready to travel, they say, hey, don't go by the tomb area. Don't go by this guy. He's just plain crazy. One man summarized this guy's life. His life was a total wreck. He was poor. He was naked. He had a mass of bleeding lacerations, scabs, infections, and scar tissue, living in a delirium of pain and displeasure. He was banished as an outcast. He was dehumanized, animalized, and marginalized. This guy was about as bad as it could get. His life situation was about as bad as you could imagine. And so he comes running up to Jesus. And in verse 7, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, this is Jesus, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. 
So when this man came running up to Jesus, the first person that led the conversation was Jesus. And he says, you demons come out of this man. You unclean spirit come out of the man. And they knew exactly who he was. They said, Jesus, the son of the most high. And uh, why are you messing with us? Why don't you mind your own business? And then they say, I adjure you. I love the way they say this. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. What they're saying is, uh, we're calling on God to tell the Son of God not to mess with us. That Jesus isn't really going to go with that, okay? And so they're saying, we don't really want you to mess with us over here. But Jesus says, I'm getting ready to take some action. And he asked him, who are you? In verse 9. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. So what the demons did, they didn't really give him their name. They gave him the condition. The word legion is, um, is a Roman army. A unit made up of 6,000 soldiers. It's the largest unit that they had within their army. And so when this demon cries out and says, we are legion, that means that there's all kind of demons. There's a lot of us that are in this man right here and we are controlling him. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now, Mark says out of the country. In Luke's account of the same story, he says they begged that God would, Jesus would not send them out into the abyss. And the abyss is the bottomless pit, which in the book of Revelation says that Satan and all the demons will be cast. And so some believe that even they understood what their future was going to be. And they're just saying, don't send us down there now. We're begging you, don't send us to the abyss now. Do something else with us. And so in verse 11... It says, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out. They entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Now for those of you who are really liking Miss Piggy, this is a difficult passage for you. You saw the movie Babe and your heart is broken uh, right now. Well, what Jesus did is he said, not only do I have the power to cast out the demons, but I've also got the power to determine where their destination is. And I'm sending them up to the pigs over here. Now, some people say, well, why? Why that? Why, Why did he do that? Well, first of all, you need to understand Jesus did not destroy any pigs. The demons destroyed the pigs. All Jesus did was he said, I'm not going to send you to the abyss. I'll send you over here to the pigs. And when they took the pigs, all of a sudden, the pigs made their suicidal run off the cliff and into the lake, and they were drowned. Some people have said because Jews and Gentiles were commingling over here that there could have been some Jewish people who were swine herders. And for the Jew, they were not to do, have anything to do with pigs. And they were not to eat it. They weren't to have anything to do with pigs. But these were going against their teachings. And they were raising these pigs to sell them to the Gentiles and make a profit. And so some have said that, hey, he just, Jesus just put them out of business on there. Could have been. But I think the overarching understanding of this is you see the power of Jesus. With a word he cast out the demons from this man. And then, with his own power, he then directed the pigs to another destination. 
And he said, I'm showing you my power in the seen physical world. And that is, you're going to see a man, we'll see in the next verse, who's completely changed. And you're also going to see some pigs have done something crazy. But you're also going to see it in the unseen world. And that is, I just wanted to get the attention of all these demons that are out here, that I've got power over you. And you need to understand that I'm stronger than you are. And, I'm, and you're on notice to understand this. Well, when all the pigs ran off the hill, guess what happened? Verse 14. It says, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. The kamikaze pigs made the headlines in the newspaper that day. And everybody came to see a flotilla of 2,000 dead pigs there in the lake. And they're trying to figure out what happened. So everybody runs to find over what happened. And then in verse 15, it says, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man. So, <laughs> so I'm thinking that the first draw was the pigs. Everybody came. They read in the paper about the pigs being uh, over in the, in the Sea of Galilee. So they wanted to come and see that. And then while they were there, they went and saw Jesus. And they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had... Who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Now they saw this man who I gave you the description earlier who was just crazy and, 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 was, and was just aimlessly walking everywhere and screaming and hollering and no one could subdue him. And now all of a sudden he's dressed, he's seated, he's in his right mind and he's listening to Jesus. And these people who'd grown up with this uh, menace to their neighborhood see an incredible change in his life. And it says it, they got him afraid. And so in verse 16, look for what happened. In verse 16, it says, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. That means that there were people in that area and they were eyewitnesses and they said, man, I saw it. I saw the whole thing. I was there. <laughs> Vern, I was there. I mean, I'm telling you, I saw this crazy naked man running up to Jesus and he made a statement to him and all of a sudden he cast out these demons and right there, this man, he just changed. He changed. I mean, I thought that was something and also looked to my left and there a bunch of pigs going over the, over the, uh, over the cliff. Thousand, two thousand, two thousand. By the time the story got out, it was probably 10,000 if it was Baptist. All right. And so we saw all these pigs that are going off the side, and it says, it's just crazy. You're not going to believe it. And so they're telling all the story. And I was firsthand, brother, I saw this whole thing happen. Well, now, my first thought when I read that is, you know, if I've got a guy that's terrorizing the neighborhood and it's not safe for the kids, and, and he's keeping me up all night moaning and groaning, and somebody just came and they transformed his life. And we've got no more moaning, no more groaning. Hey, guess what? We can start building houses in this area over here because now, no longer is anybody going to be scared. It's going to be safe. This is great news. Look how they responded. Verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. I'm serious. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Don't stay. This is what I tell you. Today, we talk about the effect of a transformed life. When you see a transformed life, you will either be afraid or amazed. You'll either be afraid or amazed. The effect of a transformed life is that it will cause people to either be afraid or it will cause people to be amazed. You say, really? Yeah. Let's look at being afraid. Being afraid, 
the most amazing change of life has just happened. Legion was a menace to their society. They feared and they feared for the safety of their children. It seems like they would give him the keys to the city, but they begged him to leave. It's because they were afraid. Whenever you see a transformed life, two things will happen. Number one, a transformed life challenges priorities. A transformed life challenges priorities. While Jesus was granted the demon's request to enter the swine and destroy the herd, Jesus was, was uh, stopping a destructive work that was happening in people and particularly the man they had possessed. These demons were causing havoc in this man's life, which was affecting everyone else. And Jesus says, I'm going to save this man, get these demons out of here. And he shows that he played a, placed a greater value on this human life than he did with the pigs. He considered the man more important than the pigs. Ah, but the business owners cared more for the loss of their property than for the healing of this man. They preferred the pigs to the people. They preferred the profits from the swine over the salvation of souls. And in the clash between business and spiritual well-being, business came first. They were more comfortable with the evil forces that would take captive human beings and destroy lives than they were with the one who has the power to expel these forces. Let me say that one more time. They were more comfortable with the evil forces that take captive human lives and destroy lives than they were with the one who has the power to expel these forces. They can cope with this odd demon-possessed man who terrorizes the neighborhood, but they want to stay arm's length away from Jesus who has the power to heal this man and to challenge their priorities. Listen, when Jesus shows up, it's not always a good thing for businesses because sometimes businesses suffer. When Jesus shows up, pornographers go out of business. When Jesus shows up, alcohol sales decrease. When Jesus shows up, gambling declines. When Jesus shows up, drug trafficking comes to a halt. When Jesus shows up, human trafficking ceases. And when Jesus shows up, judges and attorneys have fewer divorce cases. It's sad that I didn't say when the church shows up. I had to say when Jesus shows up. Because, see, we're here as the church, and these problems are still here. And, in fact, in many instances, the church members are the ones that help promote these same things that I just talked about. It's when Jesus shows up that priorities are challenged. And when the church gets to the place where it's made up of transformed lives, then this inner work will result in an outward reality, and the priorities will be challenged. And everybody's wanting change to take place. And they don't like the direction that our country is going in. And the key to that is held right in this room. And in this room all around the world of people who are worshiping, who are saying we claim to be Christ followers. And if we would truly live a transformed life and allow God's spirit to make that change in our life, then guess what? We're the ones who will then challenge priorities. We're the ones who will say, I've got to get back to the things of God, and that's got to be my priority, and not giving in to the temporal pleasures of what's going on in this world. But the second reason when people get afraid is that a transformed life changes perspective. A transformed life changes perspective. No one could subdue Legion. He broke chains. He broke iron. They couldn't control him. 
Everything that, that in man's uh, arsenal, they could not control this guy. Jesus shows up, gives him a word, and guess what? All of a sudden, the guy gets clothed, he gets in his right mind, he's able to sit, he's able to listen, and he's able to have communion with Jesus. And with a word, he changed this man. Now, it seems that the people would be excited because they see this change in this man that we'll call legion. Because it was for the good of this man, and it was for the good of the community. We don't have this menace anymore. And look at him, his life has been changed. Praise God, his life has been changed. But you see, when you look at that, and you live in that community, it then begins to beg the question. And the question it begs is, well, if this Jesus sticks around, what changes is he going to make in my life? You see, if Jesus stays in our community, I'm constantly faced with the truth of his authority and my responsibility to respond. So what will he require of me? I've seen what he's done with this guy. So what's he going to do with me? And all of a sudden, my perspective begins to change. What, what changes need to happen in my life? And as long as Jesus is in the community, I can't ignore him because he cast a pretty large shadow. And once you accept Jesus' authority, your perspective changes. When I accept his authority, my perspective changes because now all of a sudden I begin to see my own sinfulness and how my life's focus is on temporal pleasures and not on God honoring eternal significance. And you begin to see life from Jesus' perspective, which means there are habits and attitudes and lifestyles within you that are directly opposite from his teaching. And this change of perspective demands action. And so when Jesus shows up and I let him stay in the community and I see who he is, I see his power, I see his authority, and I then take a look in the mirror and I look at my own life and what's going on in my life, I can't hang around with him very much without all of a sudden there has to be a change of perspective to say, you know what, i got to stop doing these things that I've been doing. And I need to be more focused on you and these God-honoring things of eternal significance. But you see, for many of you, you love your sin more than you love your Savior. And so what you do is you want Jesus out of the region, across the lake, out of sight, out of mind. But you know, the more I thought about this passage, sometimes... It's good to have a legion in the community. Whoa, where are you going for that? Sometimes we like having a legion in the community, don't we? You know why? Because he's that guy who's such a bad sinner that whenever I begin to get convicted of my sin, I can always look to that guy and say, well, (laughs) I know that I'm not as close to God as I need to be, but thank goodness I'm not that guy. Because that guy's really messed up. He's causing a lot of heartache and a lot of problem over there. So I begin to feel a little bit better about myself. And you know, while as long as we've got that legion there who's really messing it up, he's kind of making it easier for me to live my life. And then lo and behold, here comes Jesus and he takes this guy and he heals him. And he casts out those evil spirits and this guy's life begins to get transformed. And now all of a sudden, he's doing the things with Christ that really I should be doing. And now my perspective is changing and I'm having to look at my own life. And I don't have this guy to compare to in a bad sense. Now all of a sudden, he's like the standard. And whenever the legion becomes the standard, oh, man, that is hard. 
Because I've used him as my scapegoat. Now I don't have that scapegoat anymore. Now I've got to change my own perspective. And so what the best thing is, is Jesus, if you could just get back over to the other side of the lake. And if you get to the other side of the lake and you just hang out and talk to those people over there, out of sight, out of mind, we don't need any more legions saved over here. Because I just want to feel comfortable living my cultural Christianity life right where I am. See, the effects of transformation is it can cause people to be afraid because it will challenge their priorities and at the same time, it will cause their perspectives to be changed. But you see, the second response to this is amazement. Amazement. Um, This picture right here This was made in Fort Payne, Alabama. That's sort of the uh, glass-blowing capital of Alabama, okay? So if you go up there, like Ethan did, and Ethan had the opportunity to video this whole process and to watch this whole process. Let's just say you were there, and you watched this be formed. You would look at this and say, this picture has got a story to tell, doesn't it? I mean, you just see this picture. But let me tell you how this thing happened. And you would go in and you would begin to talk about, you know what? You started out with the sand and you talk about how the sand was in the furnace. And then all of a sudden you had that glass glob and then he blew the breath of air in there. And then they were spinning it and wheeling it and putting it back in the fire, bringing it back out and dipped it in this and did this, turned this. And then lo and behold, this is what happened. And uh, it would be an amazing, you know why? Because a transformed life produces a compelling story. A transformed life produces a compelling story. And when I look at the product of transformation, this has got a compelling story. But here in Mark chapter 5, this is one of the most radical transformations in the Gospels. An ex-demoniac was now rational, controlled, at peace, in communion with God. It is utterly amazing and a transformation that is impossible except through God. And God did it. Now, speaking to you that are listening to us and those that are on live stream and those that are in here today. Perhaps you're listening to this message today and you have descended so deeply into sin. And the scars are so profound that you have given up on ever being made whole. This account of scripture is for you. In your honest moments, you may raise your hand and say, I'm in Mark 5. That is my life. I feel as lost and as in pain as this guy right here. But I want to tell you, I believe in the transformation power of Jesus Christ. And with a word, Jesus can transform your life. You can be a new creation and can be set on the road to continual transformation and victory over the sins that control you. And believe it or not, that same God can give you peace over the scars that are on your body and inside your soul from things that have happened in the past. He can cure it and he can heal it. And what happens is you start this journey with him. And say, I understand that Jesus died for my sins. And that he was raised from the dead and gives me this opportunity for eternal life. And then he clothes you in righteousness. And you have this opportunity to build a relationship with him. And through the, the giving of his Holy Spirit, he works this transformation in you. 
And, it, it's, and it's, a, it's a journey. It's a journey. It's just like this picture right here. It wasn't like they got it right the first time. You stick it back in the fire. We got to heat it up a little bit more. Then we got to shape it a little bit more. Then we got to put it back in the fire. And that happens to us. But this is our goal. It's to come out on the end of this transformation. And you see, as you come to know Christ more and more, you experience his healing from sin, his healing from Satan, his healing from loneliness, from indecency, from wrong ways of thinking, and even from the power of death. Well, it's not surprising that after all of this took place, this guy was ready to go with Jesus. Look what it says in verse 18. It says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. And he did not permit him. Now, most of the times, Jesus said, yeah, come on and follow me. But in this case, he didn't. Look what he said. He did not permit him, but he said to him, and in verse 19, you'll see it on the screen, he says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. I want you, with your compelling story, to go back to your friends and go back to the city and tell them exactly what the Lord has done for you. And the message he preached was about the power of God, the demise of the pigs, the mercy that Jesus showed him, and the transformed life that he had. He said, that's what I want you to do. I want you to just share your story. And when he shared his story, what did he share? I love it. Look at verse 20. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, those 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him. Now, what did Jesus tell him to say? Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And what did he tell them? How much Jesus had done for him. (laughs) Okay. I love that. He didn't sit there and have a three-point talk on pigs. Okay. The pigs were a part of his talk. But it was the power. It was what Jesus had done for him. And he said, I did the exact same thing that Jesus told me to do. I told him my story of exactly what Jesus has done for me. And how did people respond? And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. And that word also means they were amazed. Everyone marveled. Everyone was amazed because they saw the effect of a transformed life. Anyone who has come to Jesus has a wonderful and a compelling story to tell. You see, the details are different, but the story is the same. You just need to understand this. Many of you sit there and say, you know, I don't have one of those pigs over the cliff stories that I can tell in my testimony, so I guess I don't have much of a story to tell. No, not at all. You do have a story to tell because the story's not about you, it's about him. And what your story that you're telling is, I was a sinner, I was lost. But because Christ died on the cross for my sins, he paid the penalty for my sins. He loved me so much that he went to a cross and died for my sins. And when God raised him from the dead, which we celebrate next week at Easter, he conquered sin, he conquered death, and he offered me this gift of grace, and I accepted that gift. And when he came into my life, he made me different. He made me different. And he clothed me with the righteousness of Christ and allows me to be in a relationship with Jesus. And I get to be with him every day and through reading his scripture and praying and in community with others, I learn more about him, learn about my walk, and it has changed my whole perspective in life and my priorities. That's your story. Everybody's got, in essence, the same story, but with some different details. But the bottom line is the same. Now, I'm going to give you a little quick commercial uh, for a movie to go see, and it's The Case for Christ. 
Uh, we went and saw it. Janice and I saw it yesterday. You hear it promoted. It's a story, it's a true story of Lee Strobel, uh, who was an atheist, an agnostic, who set out to uh, refute and debunk the resurrection. It's a fascinating movie because it is his story. And you get to walk with him and his family through the story. And as his wife, who made a decision for Christ, tries to explain it to him, it is just, it's a relationship. And it's something is different. And even he notices there's some things different. Everybody's got a story. And what I want to encourage you to do is to share your story. Share your story. Just right where you are. I want to give you an example of one of our church members sharing their story. And the best way I can explain it is I had to, um, had to graph it out. This is a young woman who's in our Chinese ministry, Yansi Zong. Yansi Zong. Yansi, she and her husband lived in Sydney, Australia uh, for 10 years. Uh, they had a daughter, they had a job, life was good, they had no need for religion. They lived in Sydney for 10 years and then moved to Birmingham, Alabama, which is the cradle of all civilization. Everybody wants to be here in Birmingham, Alabama. Isn't that right? And they moved to Birmingham, Alabama. They moved here in 2003. They were invited to come to a concert here at our church, and they came to a concert. And some of the uh, Chinese members uh, of this church family began to uh, just meet them and be nice to them and minister to them. And then all of a sudden, Lily Wong began to uh, go over and talk to her and, and invite her to come to church. And so she came to church in 2005 and went through a class they called the Fundamentals of Christianity. And in 2005, she accepted Christ as Savior. Now, she's a realtor. And she doesn't know better than to not to share her faith, so she would tell people about Jesus. And over the last 10 years, there have been at least seven people who've come to know Christ as Savior that she has led to the Lord that have come here, and, and many of those have been baptized right here at the church. All she's doing is just telling her story. Well, her hope was that her husband would receive Christ, but he didn't. And so she'd been praying that her husband would receive Christ. But in 2010... Her mother and mother-in-law both came to Birmingham. And when they came to Birmingham, she shared her story with them. And after they had some opportunity to talk, guess what happened? Both her mother-in-law and her mother made decisions for Christ. They accepted Christ. They then went back to China, and her mother shared with her sister, with Yansi's sister. Her sister in China received Christ as Savior and was baptized there in China. But her husband still has not received Christ. Well, in 2014, their niece, who lives here in Birmingham, the cradle of civilization, who lives here in Birmingham, the brother and sister, the brother, he had not received Christ. The brother and sister traveled here for the graduation. When they came to the graduation, she shared her story with them, and Dr. Wong and others shared with them and talked to them about it. And guess what happened? Well, the brother received Christ and the niece received Christ there at that graduation time. So the Wongs went to their house, her house, to talk to them about baptism. And as they were talking about baptism, Dr. Wong noticed that her husband was earnestly listening. And at the end of the conversation, he looked to her husband and says, would you also like to make a decision for Christ? And he said, yes. And so the three of these were then baptized in our church. You say, that's amazing. It doesn't end there. So with all this part of the family, 
Her father-in-law is over 80 years of age, was coming into Birmingham, the cradle of civilization. He came into Birmingham, and as he comes into Birmingham, they are getting ready to go to a gospel camp, and they invited him to go with them. And in Dr. Wong's words, we were shocked when they offered an invitation, and this man, who was in his 80s, steeped in atheistic communism, walked down, made a decision for Christ, and in 2016, accepted Christ as Savior. Now, what is this? It's just sharing her story. This is just sharing her story. She took seriously the effects of transformation. I've got to change life. I'm just going to tell other people. I'm going to tell them my story. Every one of you is a pitcher. You've been through salvation. And I know we're all in this transformation journey. But when you compare your life as to what it is as a believer, as to what it was before you were a believer, this is who you are. And you've got an opportunity to tell your story. You see, the effects of transformation is that you get to tell a story about what Jesus has done and share about his grace and his mercy, his love, his kindness, and the hope and eternal life. Share your story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for salvation. You give us that opportunity to accept that grace gift. And Lord, once that decision has been made, you then place your Holy Spirit in us and there's that work that begins to take place in our heart and that transformation. And Lord, the joy of that should be something that we should eagerly tell others. And to see that the effect of transformation will cause amazement in the life of others as they hear not what's happened in my life, but when they hear what you have done in my life. And to know that when we share that story, we're sharing about you, Father, and we're sharing about your son and what he's done in our life. Give us that boldness, that willingness to share our story. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.